Welcome to the Dental Business Podcast with your host and owner of multiple businesses, a mentor, investor, and dental surgeon, Brad Thornton. Hi, guys, and welcome to the Dental Business Podcast. It's Brad Thornton. So we have got Andy Acton on today from Frank Taylor Associates. Uh, now, they do all kinds of stuff within the dental sector in the UK, but the core business, the main thing that it sort of started from was practice sales, valuing practices, and then sort of brokering the deals and, and selling them. And they've ended up expanding to to deal with, you know, the legal side, financial, media stuff, like loads of different sort of parts of, of dental business. So this guy, you know, he knows his stuff. Um, really good interview. I want to apologize. There's a few bits of sort of internet connection issues during the interview. So, um, you know, the audio quality maybe isn't perfect in, in, in some sections, but uh, you're going to get a lot from this interview anyway. So um, hope you enjoy it. Um, reach out to me if uh, you've got any questions for Andy or, you know, he's a, he's a really good guy. He, he, he gives information freely and he's always open to have conversations. He says this is the end, but I'm going to mention it now. He actually says that if anybody's interested in buying or selling practices or wants to talk about, you know, if they're an associate and they want to go through some bits and pieces with him and have a chat with him, he's, he's very open to giving 20, 30 minutes on the phone to, to you guys and maybe having a chat with you about options and giving you some advice. So yeah, definitely worth maybe taking him up on that offer. Um, so yeah, hope you enjoy it. Dental Business Podcast, Andy Acton. Here we go. For people that don't know who you are, um, do you want to give us a yeah. bit of a background and and you know what you're what you're doing at the moment and and what your business interests are? Yeah, of course I can. Yeah, yeah. Well, my name is Andy Acton. Um, I'm one of the um, directors and shareholders of the Frank Taylor Associates Group. And, and that started with, with Frank Taylor and Associates. And, and Frank Taylor and Associates as a business um, started back in the 1980s. So there was a Frank Taylor and his business partner, Sandra Rhodes, and they worked together at Claudius Ash. And as dental reps, they went out to dental practices and, and sold gear. But by virtue of being a rep, when they went into a practice, uh, people said, so, so what's my practice like compared to the one down the road? And that was the, the embryonic start of a valuation business because they say well yours is nicer than this one but not quite as nice as that one and then from there they went well hold on a minute if people are asking what their practice is like i wonder if there's an opportunity so they went back to claudius Ash and said look we think there's an opportunity to value dental practices and they gave it what in hindsight appears to be an interesting name because they called it confidential services and so they went out (laughs) (laughs) which has different connotations but so they went out and they valued dental practices and then as with lots of companies, there's a strategic review and Claudia Sash say that we don't want to do this anymore. So Frank and Sandra said, well, do you mind if, if we leave and go and do it ourselves? And they said, we'll go with our blessing. So in 1988, Frank Taylor and Associates was born. Uh, Frank and Sandra ran it very successfully through till 2000. And then I bought the business in 2000 with my still co-director and shareholder, Chris Strevens. So we worked together in the city. And we thought it'd be a good idea to, in fact, initially we offered it to the bank because we thought it'd be a good idea for the bank to acquire it so the bank could do the funding. And the bank said we, they didn't want to do that, but they allowed us to buy it. So we bought the business in, in 2000. The original idea was we'd continue working in the city. Uh, we'd have a business on the side. It would pay us a lovely, great big dividend. And, and we'd you know, go off into the sunset in a nice yacht. Uh, after three months, we realized that the people that we bought the business from uh, were no longer invested in it because they'd sold. And we couldn't pay our wages. And that was a, that was like business lesson number one. It was like, yeah. well, we cannot 
do this in the style we're doing it. We've got to take it more seriously. So we put some things in place and, and Chris and I joined the business full time in 2003 and that's when it really started to motor. And so bringing ourselves up to date, we've now got Frank Tan Associates that values themselves dental practices. We have FTA Finance that arranges finance for dentists, primarily when they're buying a dental practice and we range about £160 million worth of finance for dentists a year. We have FTA <laughs> Recruitment so that we can do the... Uh, the associates and the hygienists for the dental teams because inevitably when there's a, a change of ownership there can be some some switching around of the team um, in there. We also have FGA Wealth and FGA Wealth arranges all the insurance and protection that a dentist should have personally but also a requirement of the bank when you're buying a dental practice. But also what it does is it does the other end of the transaction as well. You sell a dental practice. If it's gone well you should have a capital lump sum and you'd be surprised how many dentists haven't given consideration what to do with that capital lump sum. So we can advise in relation to, to what needs to be done there. Then in 2016, we were frustrated by the delivery of legal services in the dental marketplace. So we set up FTA Law. So we've now created a full service law firm that's based up in Leeds, um, does in, uh, transactional work, property, litigation and employment and HR. And that's, that's had a, an amazing year because as you can imagine, through the COVID year, the amount of employment and HR issues that have been thrown up has just been unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, who, who, we didn't even know the word furlough 12 months ago. And yeah. now I think this year on, on the Oxford English Dictionary, it's the, the word of the year is furlough. So uh, we will become <laughs> yeah. very familiar with that. And then our most recent venture is we've also got FTA Media. And FTA Media came out because we realised that from our own marketing point of view, we needed to have video presence. Because if you go to a social media timeline now, it used to be words, then it moved to pictures, and now it's video. I mean, we've seen with TikTok and Reels and those sorts of things, it's, it's so heavily video-based. We felt yeah. as a company that, that we needed to be on the scene in terms of video. So it started as an internal project. Lots of our clients saw that we were doing video and said, so how are you doing that? So we said, well, it seems silly to not have it as an offering to our clients. And so out of that came FTA Media, and FTA Media now provides um, patient journey, patient testimonials, showreels of videos, introductions by principals, and we offer a video service to dental practices. And that's kind of the group, like um, sort of the Frank Tain Associates group. Let me know. I was going to say, um, yeah, so when you, just um, a bit of a cheeky question, when you actually bought Frank Taylor & Associates, what was your multiple of EBITDA then when you bought it? How did you buy it? Was it bought under the same kind of valuation structure that dental practices are? Um, no, it's, it, it's not really because the difference with a dental practice and why the reason the multiples are, are very strong is it comes down to whether the income within a business is transactional um, or recurring and where dentistry differs to lots of other businesses so the business that i bought the original frank Taylor associates business once we've sold a dental practice to somebody we un it's unlikely we're going to get repeat business from that client unless they've got multiple dental practices so every time we set a practice we have to go and get a new client we've got to go and find yeah. somebody else who owns a dental practice to set it for them whereas in dentistry um You've also got three different types of income. You've got your NHS income, which is completely recurring because the NHS keep paying for it. You've got plan-based income, so DEM plan, practice plan, DPAS, whatever it might be. And that's recurring as well because those patients pay on a regular basis. But even with private-based income, okay, if you're one of the sorts of practices that does kind of full-mouth rehab type stuff at the, you know, 20, 30,000 pounds and above, 
that's not going to be repeatable because once somebody's had that sort of treatment, it's going to be more of a maintenance job. However, even on a, as a maintenance job, there's going to be recurring income coming through that patient base. And that's why the multiples in dental practices are much higher than other businesses or the business that I bought because the, the, the nature of the recurring income didn't exist in the business that I was buying. So if it was, so say, for example, a different sector, say accountancy. So accountancy businesses primarily are valued on the recurring income that comes into the business, not the one of exceptional business. That makes sense. So that's why the multiple I paid was, was, was very low relative to what somebody would pay for a dental practice. But it, it's not because my business was, was not worth as much. It comes down to how that, how that income is derived. Yeah. So, you know, it's that kind of almost that you're paying for an element of security of your investment, aren't you? It's, um, yeah. you know, it's a perceived lower risk investment if you buy dental practice because it's quite a stable income stream. Exactly right. And it's as we've seen this year, you know, through the pandemic, um, it's been recession proof. Um, okay, I think when practices were, were told to shut down between March and June, it's absolute nonsense. I can't, I don't think anybody who is either in the professional knows anything about dentistry could believe that dental practices have to shut, but that's now fixed. And in this, in this secondary lockdown, dental practices have stayed open. You know, it's a, it's a health service. It needs to be available ongoing. It survived recessions, it survived the pandemic. So to say it's immune of everything is perhaps stretching it too far, but it is one of those sectors that doesn't get caught under normal rules of economics. The only people who tend to suffer a bit are the people who are doing high-end cosmetic treatments that are, that are elective, and people might just postpone some of those treatments. But routine day-to-day -day dentistry, it's a, it's a health service. People need it. Um, yeah, and, and you know, you say, you, 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 FTA, you kind of went into that about, what, 2000, did you say? Was it 2000? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so since so since then, you know, we've had a recession. We've we've had different external things that could have influenced sort of practice mm. sales. Have you noticed differences and changes and and things that have caused actually much impact? Because, um, like you said, COVID. Yeah, yeah, we we appear to be a recession-proof industry, and and I've been quickly looking around at practice valuations at the moment and nothing seems to have been impacted whatsoever by what's going on. Is that something that you've noticed over the last couple of decades that regardless of what's yeah, going I mean, on? Completely. And I think it's that you know, the only constant is change. And if we go back to, to when I bought the business in 2000, it was relatively stable until 2005. And then there was talk about the new NHS contract coming in or what was referred to as the new NHS contract back then in 2006. And when the new NHS contract came in, it effectively said, if you have NHS income, your income is now capped. So you can't, it's no longer items of service. You can't just keep billing for the amount of work you do. You've got a cap on your income. What that meant for principals is if they wanted to improve their turnover, they had to do private work. If they didn't want to improve their um, turnover by doing private work, but they wanted to improve their profitability, they had to contain their costs. And the biggest variable cost in most dental practices is associates. Therefore, associates suddenly felt incredibly vulnerable. So if I've got a practice, say, that turns over £300,000 and I'm doing two and a half days a week and say so I'm doing £150,000 of that income, but suddenly I want to improve my profitability, what I do is I say to you as my associate, actually, Brad, I don't need you for two and a half days a week. I only need you for one day a week because I'm going to do more of the dentistry myself. That reduces my associate cost. My profits shoot up. And as a principal, I'm very happy. As an associate, you're now in a massively vulnerable position. 
because you can have your days cut, your income cut, and your livelihood impacted as a result of the NHS change. So what that did in terms of the impact on, on the market was we saw about an additional thousand associates come to Frank Taylor Associates wanting to buy a dental practice because they're like, well, hold on, I'm at the end of the food chain. You know, I'm at the yeah. end of the food chain where I can be marginalized if I'm not needed. If I put myself into the position of principle, then I'm the person dictating the terms. So that happened in 2006. In 2008, when the recession came, guess what? Exactly the same thing happened again because principles were like, well, if I'm going to have to batten down the hatches, I'm going to reduce my costs. And it was the associates that felt vulnerable. So there was a big spike in 2006 with the NHS contract, another spike in 2008 when the recession came. And then actually everything stayed quite rosy for a long period of time. And in 2020, the same things happened with COVID because associates really? in a position, it's because lots of associates um, were on, say, 45%. They were, they were getting paid 45% of their fees, say, roughly. Lots of associates I've talked to now have been having conversations with their principal where that number's coming down to 35, 30, 25% of their fees. And they're sitting there saying, I'm now in a position again where I'm feeling vulnerable. I don't feel I've got long-term security. And how do I take control of my future? And the belief is that you do that through only a business. And now, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, you, you'll know this better than most. Only a business through a pandemic has not been an easy ride. So people who are saying, well, if I buy a business, it's easy. It's not. It's not owning and running a business in the last 12 months has probably been the most challenging year any of us have had as business owners. However, what it did give us was an asset to return to. So when lockdown finished, whilst it's been nasty, we did have assets to return to. And that's what driving lots of associates to want to get onto that, that I need to own a practice machine. And then the flip side to it is the people who own practices, lots of people who thought they might have sold through 2020 haven't been able to because it's just been such a mess. So now we're seeing a lot of people coming back and saying, look, actually, I think the time's come and, and I do want to go. And that point about like you said about you've been keeping an eye on practice values, they have held up phenomenally well because yeah. there's so many people wanting to buy. You know, it's simple economics. It's, it's supply and demand. The demand yeah. is absolutely off the charts. And there's always supply, but the demand outstrips supply massively at the moment, which is why the values are holding up incredibly well. And, and how do you know what the multiple of, because, I mean, what is the multiple at the moment? So um, just for people listening, when I'm saying multiple, I mean in terms of the value of a dental practice, when yep. you work out the, the basically the profit, the EBITDA, which is effectively the profit, um, how many times that is the value of the business? And is it in yep. dentistry, is it 6.5-ish to 8, something like that? It, it, it varies. Just, just to very quickly, so the EBITDA, in, in a business, you've got your income, you then have your cost, and then you have your profit, and your profit at the bottom. And so what you've got is the, the, the profit is the earnings, and the EBITDA is the earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. So those all get added back, and that gives you an adjusted figure of what the EBITDA in that business is. The multiple, um, it, it's never just a multiple across the board. The biggest determining factor on the multiple will be the location. So a, a practice in, um, say, Hertfordshire. Um, will have I cannot believe um, Can I not? I, I've literally written down Hertfordshire. I was going to I was going to ask you about um, Hertfordshire. I've seen a practice that's for sale there um, that is 
a good couple of mil on a 900k yep. uh, revenue. Um, so yeah, it's interesting you said Hertfordshire because I was just about to. I was going to mention Hertfordshire. Right, Hertfordshire is is probably the most desirable county in 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 the country. Um, what you end up with, and, and it has changed a bit because it always used to be the main conurbations. So you had London and the home counties, you had Birmingham and the surrounding area, and then you had the northwest, Manchester and Liverpool. Outside of those areas, values were always reasonably modest. But interestingly, we've seen this in, in retailing and hospitality and where people are making their purchases generally. But through COVID, people are doing things more locally than they used to. So whereas people would dash off into big cities to do their shopping, people are shopping locally. And what that means as well is that from a dental practice point of view, we've seen a spike in terms of the interest in practices that aren't in big cities. So the Norfolk, the Suffolk, the Dorset, the Devon, there's been an increase in, in those what would have been traditionally more rural locations, which is, which is quite interesting. But going, but going back to the, the, the multiple side of things. So the location is going to be the biggest determining factor. And at the bottom end, a multiple could be two, two and a half times. And right. at the top end, the multiple could be six and a half, seven, seven and a half times. But also there's, there's two different types of multiples as well, because there's the multiple which is based on a dentist owning and working in that business. And there's also a multiple based on a corporate ownership model. And what happens is where it's the the dentist is working in the business, there isn't such a reliance on reliance on associates. So that, that underlying profitability is higher. So let's say that you've got a practice that's going to be operated by corporates and the underlying profit, just to be ease of, ease of maths, is, is £200,000. And the corporate says, well, we're going to give you a, a, a multiple of nine times your adjusted profit. So nine times 200,000 pounds gets us to, to 1.8 million as a, as a figure. But if that practice wasn't being owned and run by a corporate and it was being owned by you who's working the business, the adjusted profit would increase, say, to 300,000 pounds. So you've now got a 300,000 pound underlying profit as opposed to a 200,000 pound underlying profit. So 200,000 pound underlying profit with a nine times multiple is 1.8 million pounds. If you increase the underlying profit to 300,000 pounds, because you're not gonna be so reliant on associates, you might get a lower multiple. You might only get a multiple of seven times, but seven times 300,000 is 2.1 million. Yeah. Nine times 200,000 is 1.8 million. So I think just looking at the multiple, you have to be really careful because you've got to look at the underlying profit as well. Because lots of people get very hung up on wanting a bigger multiple. But if the bigger multiple is being applied to a smaller adjusted profit, for me, it's about what money ends up in your bank account. It's, yeah. it's that thing about, you know, is it, is, it, is, it, is it vanity or is it business? If it's vanity, go for the big multiple. If it's about business, look for the multiple that attaches to a higher profit because that's the figure that's going to end up in your bank account. And and as in working with sort of with you guys, is, is is that the conversation that you would have? I mean, do, do practice owners come to you and say, you know what, Andy, I'm I'm looking to sell my practice. And did you say, right, I tell you what, let's have a look and see what the valuation is. Um what I might suggest is rather than selling it now, make these adjustments and then your value will be higher if you come back to the market in six months or twelve months. 
do you work with them to try and get a high valuation? Yes, um, but sadly, um, most people um, come to us not with the mindset that says, I've got my practice, could you have a look at it? What improvements can I make? I'd like to achieve a price, nice, can I sell? The conversation typically goes, um, can you value my practice? I booked the cruise and we're leaving in October. Right. <laughs> most people's planning horizon, honestly, m- most people's planning horizon selling their practice. They talk to everybody else before they come and talk to us. So they talk yeah. to their, their accountant, they talk to their partner, and then they, quite often people will, will spend six months building up to talk to us. And by the time they come and talk to us, they just want to get on with it, which actually is a real shame because if they spoke to us before, you're right. There's lots of things that we could do by way of helping them. Um, quite often people aren't making use of hygienists to the extent they should. You know, quite often people say, well, I've got a three surgery practice. And you say, brilliant. And then you tot up the amount of days that are being worked and those three surgeries are being used nine days a week. And it's like, well, no, you've got 15 days of available surgery time minimum. That assumes that you don't do any weekends. And you're telling me you've got a three surgery practice and you're only doing nine days a week. So the headroom between chair occupancy is massive. And I'd love to have more conversations where I could say to people, look, you've got a choice. You can sell now for this number or what you can do is you can make these changes over the next year and assuming those changes do happen and the market stays the same, you would get a better value. But unfortunately, life being what it is, by the time people come to us, I think many of them uh, are at the end of their tether. Um, and when I say the end of their tether, it's it's mostly around business ownership as opposed to dentistry. Quite often mm. when people sell, they're still, they say, look, I still love my patients. I still love my clinical dentistry. What I'm at the end of my tether is is business. It's HR, it's CQC, it's, it's you know, the, the fear of the GDC. And for very few, it ever turns into anything. But there's just always that, that kind of dripping tap in the background of owning and running a business. And um, in terms of uh, when sort of the handover happens and the new owner takes off, I know with corporates, they do quite a few sort of deferred considerations where they might pay a certain amount at the beginning and then pay the rest over, say, four or five years or however long. Does that ever really happen with private sales, or is that just a corporate thing? That, that's really a corporate thing. So a, a typical corporate deal would be you get something in the order of about 70% of the sale price up front. So let's just use a number of a million pounds because it's easy. So you get £700,000 up front, and then the £300,000 would be deferred, normally over a period of three to five years. And it will be paid uh, on, on the anniversary of each year, subject to hitting certain KPIs. So you might need to uh, maintain income. You might need to improve income. You might need to add services, you add to the profitability, whatever it might be. So if you're selling to a corporate, all you need to be aware is that, yes, you're going to get your, your, your lump sum figure, but that would only be about 70% of what you get. Um, up front with the rest deferred over a period of time and all things being equal you you will receive those payments and and some corporates are better than others in terms of putting in place structures and systems to make sure those those payments get get paid um, but equally as part of the the negotiation on selling it's important to make sure that there's as much protection in there for the seller as possible um, so that they they do get paid those those payments in a, in a private deal, that tends not to happen. Um, normally, you get 100% of your sale price on the day of completion. 
occasionally you'd be required to stay on for a few months particularly if it was a private practice to do a handover of sorts um, there may be a, a small retention depending on the sort of income in the practice if there's some ongoing treatments um, there may be a small retention but typically at completion on a, on a private deal you'd get all your money on the day of completion and um, so in terms of people that are listening because there's, there's quite a, a varied type of listenership for this you know there's quite a lot of associates mm. who who reach out and you know there's quite a lot of conversations that I'll have where they are thinking about buying they're not sure they're wanting to know what type of practice to look for um you know what because it's really easy to go onto your website onto a broker's site and just see practices and just these headline figures but you know, what do people really need to, to look for? Are there any things that the, these conversations that you have with, with associates about, you know, the kind of practice they should be looking for, what things need to be looking out for, or do they just put 100% faith in, in you guys to, to find them for them, if, if that makes sense? I think generally in life, I don't think you put 100% faith in anybody for anything. I think you have to take yeah. control of your own your own life and take control of what it is you want i think if you're looking for practice the things you you need to be considering first and foremost it's location because you can change virtually everything else you want about a practice but you can't change where it is you know if, if, if you're in the north of england and you see a really nice practice in surrey so well you know unless you're prepared to move to surrey cross it off your list it doesn't matter and then within your area then say, right, so what's a reasonable area in terms of travel? So, for example, let's assume, let's say that you were, were close to the M1. Your, your ability to get up and down the M1 is, is quite good. So you may be able to look at practices 50, 60 miles from where you are, but still get there within an hour. And an hour is a reasonable commute. Whereas if you're in some country B lanes in, in Suffolk, it may be no more than 12 or 15 miles from where you live. So the location is really important because you're going to be visiting this place, you know, four, five, six, seven times a week. You know, I can, I know you're in your practice today and it's a Sunday morning. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're visiting your practice on a regular basis. You need to make sure that you're comfortable with that daily grind. And then some of it comes down to the, the crude numbers because to buy dental practice, you need to make a contribution of about 20% of the purchase price. So yeah. you start a practice for £600,000. You need to put in £120,000. So once you've got through the location, in terms of what sorts of practices should I be looking at, that will start to put you down a path of practices that are appropriate for your situation. So if I'm in a situation where I have £100,000 available to me, that means I can buy practice of about £500,000 because that's my 20% contribution. A bank will lend you the difference. The bank will lend you the 80%. So then you've got your, your location, be comfortable with the journey. The budget is going to start to set the kind of shape of practice that you're going for. And then the next thing is to look for practice that meets your, your current situation. So if you're somebody who's only worked on the NHS and never done private work, you don't really want to be going into a pure private practice because that might be a bit too much. So you might want to be looking for a practice that gives you the ability to continue to do some NHS work, but possibly have some private as well. So you can develop that side of your business. So matching your ambition with your needs and your experience is important because what you don't want to do is buy a practice and just find that you don't have the, the sales skills, the chair side manner, the whatever it might be for it to work because everybody involved in this transaction wants it to work. 
And then you need to then start to build some experience and start looking at some sales prospectuses and start doing some viewings, because that will also give you a, a flavor in terms of what sort of practice suits you. Because the size of the practice, the budget is going to set the size up to a certain extent. But depending on what you feel your business skills are like, a smaller practice might suit you. A smaller practice might have a team of three, four or five people. And you might say, well, actually, I feel comfortable managing a team of three or four or five people. A larger practice with a team of 10, 12, 15, 20, for a first-time buyer, that might be a bit overwhelming. So make sure you, you pitch that side of things. Because one of the things that dentistry doesn't do well is prepare people for business ownership. And yeah. from a patient point of view, I don't really give a fig whether you understand how to read a spreadsheet or not. I want a good dentist. But from a business point of view, it's an issue. Because when you then move from being an associate to a business owner, suddenly you've got a whole host of other things that you need to cope with as well. I think if you go through that, that kind of checklist of things, that should point you in the right direction for the sort of practice that suits your situation. And I mean, based on what you've said, I think I know the answer to this, but you know, you feel very confident that the market is going to be very buoyant moving forward. I mean, there are talk about changes to the NHS contract again, but based on history, that's not really going to have anything other than probably a positive impact on market values. Um, so if you're looking to buy a practice, would you just say, go for it? Yeah, I would. And and it's a hard one because it's a bit like, you know, turkey's voting for Christmas, isn't it? You know, <laughs> my, my, my day job is selling dental practices. So everyone listening says, of course, it's safe, you know, go and buy one because he wants to sell practices. But but to give it into context for numbers, I've got about 5,400 dentists registered looking to buy a dental practice. And in a given yeah. year, there's only about 12 to 1400 dental practices, roughly, that change hands in the UK in any given year. So I've got five times as many people wanting to buy practice as not buy practice. So if people are waiting for conditions to improve, you know, we've probably all heard of the 80-20 wall, you know, Pareto is 80-20. So I've got 5,400 people. If I take 80% of those people out of the equation, I still got over a thousand people wanting to buy a dental practice. And I've only got, there's only about a thousand practices change hands, give or take in a year. So I've still got one practice for every buyer. So yeah. from a, from a, if you want to get on and do it, and also I'm a firm believer, don't let the market or other reasons, they're just excuses. And I know that's brutal, but not doing things. If you want to do it, you'll make it happen. And if you don't want to do it, you'll find an excuse. So yeah. if you're not sure about prior to, prior to practice, you'll find a million and one reasons not to do it and you'll justify it to yourself. If you do want to buy a practice, you will put in place what's required to buy a practice and that's just life you know how many times were we going to go for a run and we went oh well i can't find my shoes oh it's a bit cold it's just an excuse if you really want to go for a run you'll pull your shoes on and you'll go out and you'll run yeah yeah no that echoes my sentiments massively um you know i, I think the way the covid is if anything i think that there's an opportunity there so i i'm looking at sort of the the market actually quite positively and you know, my practice is fully private and, and we're noticing a massive uptick in in just business. You know, we're, we're sort of above pre-COVID levels. I don't know whether it's a, a post-COVID bubble, um, but it's certainly, there's, there's no slowdown in momentum. Uh, and I think if if people are wanting to purchase and they want to be a business owner and they've got the ambition to do so, then, you know, like you said, 
they just need to to push ahead and they'll 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 find a way to do it and people that maybe are a little bit hesitant it may be that they're not ready right now but uh, they need to be real with themselves because i think the excuses there's, there's always going to be something um now exactly if, exactly yeah. and also it, 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 and it and it does take time it does take time to kind of work out what you want, view some practices. Some people might have to bolster their savings to make sure they've got 20%. But the sooner you start, it's an old adage, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. And if you want to buy a practice, if you start planning and preparing for it today, you might get a buy a practice in a year. If all you do is just sit around thinking about it and talking about it, it it'll never happen. Um, now, um, if people want to get hold of you, get more information, um, find out more about, I mean, obviously it's Frank Taylor Associates, they can look for that on the, on the internet, but what's the best place to, to contact you and follow you and, and um, if people want to kind of have, have a chat about their next steps? So in terms of, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. Um, I spend most time on, on LinkedIn and Instagram, so people can most definitely find me there. Uh, they can contact me directly through the Frank Taylor Associates website. Um, there'll be ways of, of contacting me, me through there. If people want to send me a DM through Facebook or, or LinkedIn or whatever, I'll get back to them. And if people listen to this and they have questions, you know, I will give anybody 20 minutes, half an hour. You know, if people want time just to talk about you know, either buying or selling their dental practice, it's such a big deal and it's such a, a life-changing decision. I, I want to make sure that everybody has as much information as possible before they make that decision. So yeah, I'm like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm across all the social channels. If people want to follow me, I'm regularly posting about my views on the market and, and commentating on where I see things going. And the more information people have, I just think that we can make better quality decisions. Perfect. Um, yeah, Andy, thank you for being patient with the internet and um, thank you for your time on a Sunday morning. Um, you know, we've ticked every single box that I wanted to touch on today, even, even Hertfordshire, randomly. You know what I mean? It, Brilliant. It, it Look at up. that. It came up. I didn't even yeah. know that. It came up. <laughs> uh, so, um, I, uh, yeah, I appreciate your time and um, yeah, thank you very much. And you know what? When people, because people contact me and, and they'll often ask me questions what i might do is i might direct them your way because i think you're such a such a good person to talk to and you're very um you're very good at giving value um you know without wanting anything in return so i appreciate that um so i'll forward people on to you as well yeah lovely yeah nice. it's been lovely talking to you brad it's been good fun perfect andy well uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend you too cheers brad keep well take care bye-bye